0: Hello and welcome to Obehe podcast. I'm your host, Obehe A14, and I strongly believe that everyone has a story to share. Now let's get started with this episode. What I'm able to try to understand is that I think a lot of Africans are trying to understand this is why is it that when you elect a leader into the office, to uh, of course this is not happening in all the African countries that that are, at least thank God for that, no, <laughs> is that they try to rewrite the rules while they are there so that they can favor them to stay more in power, because this is not happening only in Guinea-Conakry. It's almost like a trend. Why is it? Why is it always happening? Because if you look at other countries that say they are uh, sort of copying. If you, if you look at maybe uh, the former French colony in Africa, they, you will imagine that they are trying to copy the French system. The, the, uh, you don't elect a French uh, politician as soon. They will start to change the constitution too, so that they can stay more in power. So why is this trend common among African countries?
1: Well, you see, for one, African leaders, uh, once they are there, they're uh, very comfortable and um, I don't think they can live any other life being an ordinary citizen after they have left. The second thing is uh, most of uh, these leaders have a lot of blood in their hands. And therefore they would think that the government that's going to replace them will be undertaking due diligence to see if they can uh, send them to court, send them to international criminal court, or um, even jail them. So, They want to stay as long as they can. But the most important thing is like what we saw in Algeria is that with a man who has been on wheelchair for some time and very difficult even to communicate, the people around him would know that once he leaves the office, they're also gone. And therefore, it's their interest to keep that ailing man in office. And that's what happens in most African countries where the rank and file, Neither the presidency would want that president to continue because if another president is coming, then they will be replaced, all of them. Uh, moreover, they will also be subject to the rule of law where uh, the excess of office in terms of human rights abuse or corruption would be exposed completely by the new president. We already see that that's happening in Zambia after uh, what, um, a month and a half after the elections. So most of the presidents wouldn't want to go. They would want to have a certain term and of course, uh, elections can be rigged anywhere. Even the United States, uh, uh, President Trump has been talking till now saying that the election has been stolen and rigged and everything, although that country has one of the best election systems. So in any case in Africa, that's the trend where uh, most of African leaders would win with um, a very huge percentage Uh, because they control the state's resources, they control the electoral boards, they control the military and the army, the police, they control literally every life of an African, and therefore there is no way that they could lose elections. In some countries, some presidents might stay a bit longer because it might be beneficial to the stability of the country, especially countries going out of a very dangerous conflict. But definitely, if we're talking about terms in democracy, African presidents should be able to respect that. African prime ministers should be able to respect that. And otherwise, if they don't respect that, this violence will continue. We cannot develop our natural resources. We cannot develop our human capital. And eventually, sectarian violence and ethnic violence will replace what has been started in 1991 as a process of political liberalization in the African continent. All
0: right. That is, that is important now because we are looking at also the future of our country, of our continents, no? Because uh, if I take from you that um, one of the reasons why a lot of African leaders want to stay more in power is because they are afraid of who is going to come after them. It means that... Uh, That is is a kind of, uh, uh, that is a distrust even in the system. If that is the case, can't it be fixed in a way that the person that is coming after me, can sort of even continue from where I'm stopping because that will even uh, uh, be, be meaning that if we don't have a continuity in the system, how are we even supposed to develop to even start from? So can't we face that that deadlock? Is it not possible to be faced?
1: Well, you see, in some countries, we already see an improvement in this. For example, Ghana, where uh, transitions have taken place, where the opposition have uh, come to power, winning the incumbents. And of course, you know, the measure of any democratic transition is uh, what you call the two-turnover Test where a civilian government is being replaced by another civilian government, or a civilian political party is being replaced by a civilian political party in the opposition. So the problem in Africa is the presidents usually have their own access on human rights and of course on corruption. And therefore you can always dig whatever you want to dig and come out with allegations of uh, misappropri- misappropriation allegations of human rights abuse. Uh, of course, uh, the rationale is that uh, no president or no party can satisfy a whole population. And that's why they are elected only by a slight majority in, during the elections. But the fear that African presidents have that they will be prosecuted after they leave office is one of the reasons why they want to stay on. Besides the fact that the luxury and the pomp, ceremony of that office gives them the incentive to go on to continue. The rank and file, as I said earlier, are the ones who also put a lot of pressure on the presidents, on the heads of state, to be able to continue with the referendums, whatever, with regular elections. And this is, this is the problem. The other thing, of course, is, you know, Western countries have their own uh, Presidents that they like. Uh, In some cases, Western countries have been also involved in coup d'etat in Africa. If you see Al Jazeera's Frank Africa program, it would tell you a lot about the role of former colonial powers in, in the continent. So, all this added up the possibility for transition into a real democracy while it's happening in some countries. Well, Zambia was the first country in the 1990s and I happened to be there at that time to be able to transit into democracy peacefully. Now, the opposition has won and come back again into the power to prove that the democracy in Zambia is resilient. Ghana other, is another country where we have high hopes unless, of course, the uh, abuse of office would encourage the, car, the, the, the incumbent to do something that we might not anticipate. Uh, so, once you see this, most of African uh, political parties, ruling political parties, like take the ANC, uh, the EPRDF in Ethiopia, and other parties have been in power for more than three decades. Most, about 21 countries are still being ruled by the political parties that were at independence. And therefore, it's very important that the youth now participate more meaningfully in transforming African politics to the benefit of the African people. And uh, Guinea now has become a real example, and it's a test for the African Union, for ECOWAS, for the United Nations, for all international organizations, and for other African leaders that are really concerned about the well-being of the Guinean population.
0: Thank, thank you very much for that, sir. Uh, definitely, yeah, yeah, it's a big challenge both for ECOWAS and also for uh, the African Union. Because if the the, the country of Guinea-Conakry were to uh, to degenerate into a problem, of course, uh, the, the 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 block, the African uh, ECOWAS, need to intervene in many respects. In fact, uh, somebody would it would be uh, hoping that. Um, After the the continuous uh, coup and coup that that took place in Nigeria and uh, many other West African countries, we were having a kind of air of relief that now it is over. We are sort of uh, encouraging democracy in every aspect of it. That is, it must be given a chance to mature. Of course, we are not pretending that it must be super because, uh, okay, this is not a system that uh, is very young in our experience, no? But what I'm trying to uh, say is that uh, what, what really are the things that even led to the coup to start with? Is it because the people didn't have any chance? There were no people to report to. They couldn't, the United Nations could not intervene. The ECOWAS could not intervene. The African Union could not intervene. So the, the, the Guinea military, they see that they didn't have any chance. That was why they intervened. Was
1: that the reason? There is what you call this thin veneer of sovereignty where international organizations or uh, neighboring African countries cannot interfere in the affairs of any independent member of the United Nations and the African Union country. So they will let this uh, coup go on. Of course, the African Union has suspended um, Guinea from its membership ECWAS uh, has done the same thing, and a lot of diplomatic tussle is going on to be able to resolve this. But uh, their demand usually is that they will say, okay, they should have elections during a certain time, like in Sudan, they say they should have a civilian government in 15 days. But what we, what we see in Sudan is nothing has changed, you know. The coup makers are still in charge, Of course, uh, the prime minister is a very intelligent uh, human being, Mr. Hamdok. uh, Dr. Hamdok has been uh, within the UN for a long period of time. But uh, trying to balance the issue of having a peaceful transition, and of course, elected officials to come again, the African Union are all at loss on how to go past this. For one, they cannot demand the co-leaders to move immediately out of the scene and have immediate elections. Because elections would have would take time. You know, Electoral boards have to be formed. Electoral constituents have to be designed. Electoral material has to be prepared. And therefore, the, the, such leaders like uh, President Alpha Conde puts the international community, the African community, and their own people at loss. Because they wait until their own bodyguards Overwhelm them, put them in jail, and then finally the country was into crisis. So, for one, the military is undertaking coups because we don't have strong political institutions and rules that regulate this. I mean, such a thing wouldn't happen in Western countries. President Trump has tried to do that uh, when President won, uh, Biden won the election. But the institutional strength in the United States is what saved that, that issue. So the public administration institutions in Africa are not developed because this is deliberate. If they will develop developed, then the kind of impunity that you see by African leaders cannot happen. The role of the military and um, armed forces has not been defined to a point where they are only there to serve a constitution, a constitution that has been written by the citizens of Africa. And therefore, what every African military man thinks is that they could be one day the president of a country, they start looting in the country. Of course, in, a, in, in the 21st century now, and specifically at this time, leaders cannot go and hide in Europe or the United States anymore. Leaders cannot pump their money into Western capitals anymore. You know, Africa loses about $156 billion every year to illicit financing. And some of the illicit financing is driven by the presidents and the rank and file who extract the resources of their their own people and take them abroad. Uh, Some of them, we've seen the Panama Papers, where a lot of African resources have been put into offshore accounts. So these are issues that are very important when you look at Kudet as their origin, their rational. And of course, if we're going to stop them, we need to have a very strong, very strong political institutions and political rules that everybody agrees upon so that they know they're not going to get away with the kind of uh, armed insurrection
0: that they are undertaking all right yeah, that is very important because if there is no consequences uh, for the action that they are taking of course they will, it will happen again and again and like you are saying uh, the african nations uh, still have gotten the muzzle the the development in terms of a political maturity to be able to to counter uh, the uh, the boys with the, the gun because if uh, you are a youth uh, and with the, you have a gun and if you do not have the the love of your country at heart then you can basically sell it out depending on which uh, opportunity you have and this one of course will bring us to the the foreign influence because when you were talking you may mention on the fact that sometimes it is deliberate that some of the institutions are not well developed and of course this can take us a whole day to even um, explore either sometime african politicians or those in charge of politics haven't really educated people well enough about their their political responsibility this one we have stressed it enough because if i love my country so much uh there are certain decisions there are certain proposals of course that are going to come from outside that i will say no i can't do this because i'm going to be selling out my country yesterday I interviewed a, a guy and, and a journalist uh, from uh, Vatican City. And we talked a lot about this issue. And he said, <laughs> I like what he said, that African leaders, actually, they are not leaders, they are managers. And you cannot expect a manager to do the work of a leader because they are not leaders. So what would be your reaction to the father? We are expecting those in the position of authority in Africa to do the work of a leader. That is what we expect. Because if you are a president of a country, I expect you to defend my constitution. How do we get those kind of people into the position? Because that is the people we want. Well, it's
1: the genesis uh, of uh, statecraft in Africa. Well, you mentioned Nigeria's kudetas uh, by Nigerian colonels and generals. And uh, what's funny is, these colonels and generals are still in the political playing field, being elected now as civilians. This also happens in other countries. But the point is, you know, the colonial administration has literally tore the social fabric of African constituencies to a point where ethnicity is rife, ethnic and tribal stripes are at large. And if we see, for example, Somalia, It has been stateless for almost two decades. Well, it's improving now, and we hope that this will change into the betterment of Somali people and Somalia. But definitely the route that you see between the president and the prime minister recently, the postponement of many elections, the activities of um, asymmetric conflicts by Al-Shabaab, Al-Qaeda affiliated groups. So in Africa, we still have to to go a long way. The only hope I have is the young Africans that are, for example, starting fintech startups, uh, even in some cases unicorns, are going to be savvy enough to lead the way for an awareness on how African leaders should behave. Uh, True, African leaders are managers because they manage the country like their own household, not like their own company, actually, like their own household. They appoint ministers left and right. They imprison opposition people. They, most of the opposition in Africa live in other countries outside Africa. And therefore it's very important that this awareness should come. What we should remember is even Europe after almost, what, 400 years of renaissance, democratic development has seen two world wars. Today we see extremist groups taking power in Europe because people are electing them. These people in Europe now that are being elected are anti-immigrants, they hate some of the religions, and therefore you see this kind of populist governments coming up even in developed democracies. Some kind of just populism also has invaded the United States under President Trump. But the point that we need to raise is I don't think no no country is immune from the abuse of power by leaders. When it comes to Africa, the subject becomes more serious because our continent, look at a recent example where uh, the COVID-19 vaccines, uh, only two or 3% of Africans have had it when the rest of the world have had most of the dose. So with all the resources that we're exporting to the West, to the East, Why is that our leaders don't even care about their own people? In some areas, when you go to the Cameroon Forest, the DRC Forest, the jungles, people are still living the way they've been living 2,000 years ago. So to transform this and to create leaders, genuine Africans should come up. At the founding of the Organization of African Unity, African leaders like Emperor Haile Selassie, Nekroma, Nerere, all of them talked about a better Africa. All of them talked about Africa now is in the limelight of the international community. We have to transform it. Although this had their own access too, but they had the vision of setting up a regional organization to conduct political and military affairs in this continent. But the African Union Commission has failed completely and miserably giving rationale saying that of course, you know, it is the head of state and governments that are on a yearly basis commanding us to do what we do. But a very savvy political organization here in Addis Ababa, which is the headquarters of the African Union, could have led to the development of leadership in this continent. But the African Union, as beyond becoming a host to the meetings of African leaders, is not becoming creative enough to bring in this kind of agenda into the forefront and make sure that this agenda is respected by every African leader. This is a sad situation where Western media uh, really punishes uh, this continent left and right. But when it goes to the African, look at the recent example where uh, the African Union Commission has allowed uh, Israel as an observer to the African Union and then South South Africa came up very strongly against it. Although this is within the mandate of the commission, this is such a very sensitive political subject, every African leader wanted to be consulted on it. So you can see that the African Union leadership in Africa itself is very weak in terms of consolidating decisions among even its member states. One would have been, for example, taking that decision, talk to countries that would have potentially brought opposition to such an idea. But the commissioner didn't even bother to do this. The chairperson didn't bother to do this. They just went ahead to signing the the, the agreement. Uh, It's not a a bad idea. You know, Israel has more than 40 embassies in Africa already. And I don't think it will have uh, a minority if this question comes to voting. But the point is like Morocco, this issue might divide the African Union into pieces literally. And therefore we need a current African voice led by intelligent African leaders within the African Union, within the regional economic communities and within also other international organizations that are working in several countries in the the continent. Besides this, The awareness that should be generated on leaders becoming leaders and not managers is an important issue that has to be relayed in the African Union summits. The problem we have is these leaders are invincible. They can just put a government stop you talking. They can simply say, We don't care about the African Union tomorrow morning. And of course, you know, when these co makers, are uh, undertaking such an action, they know there is no repercussion, there is no follow-up action by the international community. Of course, ECOWAS has done some important work that I know of, uh, especially led by Nigeria, with, uh, with in Sierra Leone and in Liberia, where ECOWAS forces literally went in to have the rule of law respected. But this happens very rarely, and I think the Guinea case. Is not an exception. This guy will be there, like Conde, who stayed there from 1984 to 2008, uh, like Kamara who replaced him, the, and like Conde, President Alpha Conde himself, <coughs> who had two terms and then wanted a third term at the age of what, 80 plus. And these are issues you know, that African intellectuals need to talk about. We cannot say Africa is a basket case which should be relegated to some. uh, backdrop or backwaters. We have African intellectuals might raise this issue because as African intellectuals, we have other options of going to the West, living there, teaching there, working there. Then the African issue becomes relegated to the military. These are people who did not have the kind of preparedness for the social life that leadership would entail. They are military men. They have been fighting all their life. Their solution is when you see an enemy, capture that enemy or kill that enemy. So with this kind of mindset, what kind of leadership are you going to generate from this? And if you go through the African leadership context, you will see most of them have military backgrounds. And of course they will stay in power by doing whatever it takes.
0: Yeah. All right. So what I wanted to ask now is, um... As it relates to uh, the foreign influence, is it possible that these uh, people that are coming in with, the, with force try to uh, make their way into, be, force themselves into, into into rulership, no? Because this is not government by election. and I don't want to believe what they are saying, that we are just coming in, then we are going to make election, then we go out. Uh, I see maybe they are just here for two weeks or maybe, I don't know about you, do you think that they are going to be here for only a few weeks, they do a election, that everything is going to be over, they return to the barrack? Well, I doubt
1: it uh, will uh, last for a long time because uh, basically, for one, of course, the military leaders will be there for some time. If we see the case of Sudan now, there's been some time that the military leaders, after the agreement that has been supported by Ethiopia uh, to have uh, a military president and a a civilian prime minister Uh, but uh, still there is no inkling that um, the military is going out and the elections are going to be set up. So we have that problem and of course Guinea might face the same kind of problems where an agreement could be undertaken which is undemocratic in a sense that they would appoint a civilian prime minister, but just like Chad, you know. Uh, now the son of the former president, who was killed in the front, has taken over. But what she has done is, they have appointed a civilian prime minister to appease the international community, and specifically the African Union, and probably the ECAS, you know, the Central African uh, Regional Economic Community. So. This, this can go in different directions. And now Guinea has a lot of mineral resources. And the fact that uh, now bauxite price have jumped very high because of the Guinea coup means that it has a stake to play in world trade, And therefore you'll have different companies involved in the production, processing and exporting of bauxite to be able to appease the international community to tolerate the coup leaders as long as they are friendly to those people who are extracting the minerals of Guinea. And uh, these lobbies have strong positions in different uh, arenas, whether you call it the African Union or uh, the regional economic community. But but, uh, so far, ECOWAS and AU have stood their feet very, very properly Telling these guys to hand over the power to a civilian elected government. And of course, that includes leading the former president Alpha Conde from wherever they're putting him in jail. Uh, this, is, this is very difficult to anticipate. Uh, with over 110 successful coup d'etat, which resulted in regime change in Africa. Uh, what you can see, probably, is a counter-Kuba another group of military against these people to get even better legitimacy. So these are arenas that we cannot predict in any situation, and even the pundits in Guinea might not even be able to forecast what's going to take place next, next day.
0: Organizing a coup, is not something uh, that you just do uh, one day or maybe something that you didn't think about, it just happened by accident. Is it, is it possible that I can be uh, a kind of foreign influence in what is taking place in Guinea, in guinea conakry Well, you
1: know, as I said, because of Guinea's mineral wealth, there will be a lot of companies interested, and those companies have governments that impose their will um, even in the Security Council, and therefore, we cannot ignore the role of the international community and uh, the uh, transnational companies. But the point is, the decision eventually has to rest with the people of Guinea. And uh, this decision cannot be simply of something of uh, ethnic origin, uh, because what colonialists, multinationals uh, have done with the support of their governments is a kind of neo-colonial operation where they have divided African politics along ethnic lines, to a point where one ethnic group doesn't want to live with another ethnic group. And therefore, it's, it's very important to look into how the Guineans would unite on a forum for democracy more than trying to get some politician into power, because most African politicians appeal to their ethnic groups uh, of course, uh, some of them have a the majority ethnic group, and therefore, they can create crisis with, 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 within the country where min- minorities are not represented. So, you know, the whole issue of uh, building a republic is to have representatives that serve the constitution and not just serve a big constituency. Ruled by the majority doesn't mean that the minority has no role in that. So... I think the most important thing for the Guineans now is the other political opposition parties in Guinea have to articulate their agenda and show their support for democracy. Of course, this has its, its own costs. The military will not hesitate to inc- incarcerate or kill these uh, politi- politicians who talk, but there are always sacrifices when, when it comes to uh, transforming politics in any given country. And therefore, my, my, my hope is that the international community, the opposition politicians in uh, Guinea and the people of Guinea would unite in a process where it would lead to a responsible government in Guinea where as uh, President Alfa Condé did, is going to change the constitution, have a referendum and um, probably be a president for life. You cannot have that. This is what Algeria saw. It was a sick man, a very well-known politician who has served served Algeria very well. But at the end of his time, uh, some people were using him as um, probably a kind of uh, front picture to be able to do what they want to do, people under him. And the Algerians rose against this. Even saying that, you know, send the dead man to the grave. These are the kind of placards that I saw with civil society acting to this. And therefore, we should discourage this by any moment. And I think the media has a lot of role to play. One, the media has a teaching task. It can teach applicants on what democracy is, on how democracy happens, what elections are how do we develop a political culture? You can see the case of Nigeria, for example, where uh, the incumbent was saying 20 billion has been lost from the central bank or from some bank, and I'm going to find this money for you. And Nigerians overwhelmingly voted. And when it comes to political awareness, I don't think any country is better than Nigeria. With the strong media Nigeria has, with the strong educational institutions it has, people just trusted this issue of missing 20 billion, but that 20 billion has never come to see the light of the day. And therefore we need media that's going to be able to promote democracy and plural governments. And if Nigeria cannot do it, I don't think any other country can do it. With the kind of uh, educational level you have, Frankly, if you have uh, with the kind of elite you have in Nigeria, it would have been possible. But look at what Nigeria is. Every day, what we hear is kids are taken away by gangs, kids are taken away by Boko Haram, whatever you call them. And these guys are looking for money, and the government is paying compensation. Frankly, Nigeria should have the best law enforcement institutions in the continent. But this is not happening. So governments are not even doing the minimum that they're expected to do, like protecting their own citizens. Where is the community? How does it happen that schoolgirls are being just taken away in the middle of the night and nobody knows where they are? This doesn't even happen in many other African countries. So when you have these kind of problems, really, the media has a major role to be able to to, 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 to inform people, and of course, to expose the kind of corruption through investigative media. Western media has been strong in this. For example, President Trump was impeached by Congress. The information came from the US media, from the European media, before even the law enforcement authorities in the United States uh, started investigating it. Finally, it came to Congress where he was impeached fully and he was saved only by the majority Senate that he has in the Republican Party. So I think the media has a big role to play and civil society should be very strong in Africa. Africa has a very, very profound associational life, but that has, uh, that has not been transformed into citizens of a political society. And I think the African elite has a business to do this. The media, civil society organizations have to do this. When you see any African interested in politics, They want to be at the helm. They want to be the president, the prime minister, and that's it. They don't want to educate the African youth to be able even to vote for the right people who are going to make a difference in the life of their countries.
0: Do the African politician even know who is in charge now? Who is this guy that is now in charge of uh, Guinea Conakry? Who is him? Well,
1: I mean, nobody knows, except that it's part of the uh, military special forces uh, that are supposed to undertake different operations there. Of course, you know, the entire West African states are having serious uh, challenges, Uh, Boko Haram and different insurgent groups. uh, We've seen Mali, where uh, French forces have been participating, and now they're going to withdraw. And uh, we've seen Cameroon, we've seen Chad, all of them have had these insurgents for a long period of time, especially coming from the northern part of Africa. Uh, Some people who were trained in Libya before, uh, some other, you know, the Berber and the Amazigh who want to have an independent nation of their own. And of course, add to this political Islam into this chemistry where breeds of Al-Qaeda, ISIS, and, whatever name that you give them, are creating havoc in these areas. And therefore, it's very important to have leaders that can unite people behind them. I'm sure those who are abducting children in Nigeria are not doing it alone. They must have some community support. These guys, they have their children abducted and they don't know anything about it. No, this is a job. Frankly, number one, when you have this kind of occurrences coming, The state authorities should be able at least to protect the schools for a certain period of time so that they can discourage these people who are looking for money by abducting children. The kind of psychological trauma that kids will endure will last a lifetime. They're not going to be normal people once they have been abducted. Their safety and security through their life will be in question. And I don't think nobody understands this. Of course, Nigeria has... Uh, too many people, it might be able to afford uh, some people who lose their senses. But at the end of the day, as a leader in any African nation whose people are being slaughtered, whose women are being raped, whose children are, are being kidnapped, uh, they cannot claim to be leaders of that of, of, of in this continent. And therefore, African leaders in the AU meetings, the media must raise these issues. African civil society organizations must face these issues. They have beautiful words at the African Union, like um, silencing the guns in 2020. And frankly, the guns are still roaring in this continent. We have wars left and right more than whatever we had before. I don't think we had conflicts in Africa the way we have it in the 21st century now. So it's very important that the African civil society should come up not with their own agenda, but with an agenda of the people they represent or they claim to represent. And this is a very important issue because the African Union will never be transformed with the kind of aging leadership we have there, with the kind of tyrants that are literally leading the continent. Wherever you go, look at what happened in South Africa. Ex-former President Zuma was taken to court. And of course, the justice said that he he has to remain in prison because he ignored their calls to be investigated. The second thing we know is billions have been spent. Many people have died as a result of that action. We need to be more savvy in this continent in South Africans who have seen a lot of things under apartheid are doing this to their own people now. And some people in South Africa even talk about apartheid was a better system than the system they have now. So, okay. Okay. where is the African leadership? Where is the African leadership? How are, you know, most, most, I've heard African elites saying, Africans were better off under colonial administration because at least they have food to eat in their, table, in, in their households. Now what's happening is our new leaders who are perfectly elected by electoral mechanisms are the ones that are suppressing their own people. Take DRC, the richest country in the world, literally, in terms of its $24 trillion mineral wealth. What's really happening? All we hear about DRC is fighting, going on, fighting, going on, fighting, going on uh, in uh, Northern DRC, especially in areas like um, Kivu. And this is very sad. And you have these regional actors there with uh, Rwanda, Burundi, Uganda, and everything messing up with, 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 with their neighbors. And therefore, it's very important that African leaders must graduate into saying, well, we are African leaders. We want our people to be very happy. We want to live a legacy that people will remember, not just being thrown out or run away from their own countries and live elsewhere to finish their life. We've seen it. Mubarak has been overthrown by his own people. Uh, Tunisia. And the guy ran away and went to Saudi Arabia with a lot of money. Afghanistan, we saw him with 160 million dollars uh, running away with money, you know, leaving their own country. So, such leaders are not going to be, sus- are not going to leave sustainable governance modalities in their own countries. So, for African leaders, this should be a lesson <clears throat> where the Arab Spring has shown them for African leaders. They should be able to live in their countries after they finish their terms. But if they continue to abuse democracy, and of course, as I said, democracy is being abused globally. It's not just a question of Africa. But in Africa, we have a problem because that problem is we need to feed our own people. We need to have health care for our people. We need to have education. Every institution, educational institution, is really now going down the drain in this continent. So how do we bring the new African leadership if we are not going to have good educational, healthy institutions where human development really matters? Investment in this continent now, literally, everybody is talking about Africa being the colony of China. Then if we see what the Chinese are doing in Africa, they have built a lot of infrastructure. They have brought in a lot of industries. But the point is, The West is now trying to show that China is invading Africa for its natural resources. While our leaders are very comfortable with having having China not asking for any kind of human rights accountability. So these are issues that we need to really talk about in in the African elite. And I think you have a great role in this, getting the African media to be able to. in fact, you can start a, a process in which the applicants should have a strong media association, a pan-African one. I uh, remember the United Nations Economic Commission for Africa had set up what you call the Pana, Pan-African uh, News Agency. But the point is, what we need is the network of African media personalities, intellectuals, who can put pressure. And this are psychological pressure on African leaders. Number one, to have democracy to work properly, and even to define what kind of democracy we want. If you see Europeans, after World War II, some of them were Christian Democrats, others were social Democrats. The US was the leather, leather-fair capitalist economy. But the point is, in Europe, they decided what kind of democracy they wanted. Their main target was human well-being in, the, in, in Europe. And that's why you don't see so many billionaires in Europe, where the rich is taxed to be able to sustain the life of those who were not able to reach the stage where the rich have still reached. So it's very important in Africa also that this debate has to go on. It shouldn't be Algeria and CNN showing us what Africa is like because no news is good news and therefore they won't tell you the good news. They'll tell you the bad news only. And therefore it's important that Africans can come up now. We should have heroes that we recognize. That have successfully supported and taken care of their people. We should have also intellectuals and media personalities. I mention media because media is the main channel where we can communicate to the African people in different languages. And therefore, especially with the existence of vast social media networks in Africa, it will be easy to create this kind of awareness within the African continent. But it has to be relevant to the people who are listening, the message. If we tell them democracy in Africa, I don't think anybody would care. But what African news would care is about employment, about education, about their future life, about their safety and security. And therefore, we need to have this kind of discussions going on. Of course, there will be disruptors who are coming in in the middle and telling you this is uh, not a good thing to do but we can do it.
0: I believe so so much in that energy. What what is the responsibility of, of, what is our responsibility in in all of this? I mean, the African people. Well,
1: you see, the uh, the objective conditions for a military coup are based on three things. One, the military is the most opportunistic organization in society. They are the most organized ones, and they have the weapons of mass destruction and therefore they're capable of doing anything. The second thing, they they look at the civilian population. They look at the kind of inflation you have in different uh, parts of Africa or in a given country. They look at the livelihoods of people. They look at the human rights record of the incumbent. And therefore they come promising, okay, we're going to remove this guy. And we're going to remove the guys with him. We're going to send them to port or kill them. And finally, Guinea will be fine. That's when the young people who are unemployed, who don't have any income, who are not even getting any benefit out of the natural resources that are being exported from their own country, they have hopes that this will change. The third thing is the military becomes more brutal. The military becomes, as a government, the worst that you've seen in history. And it takes another military to take them down. That's what happened in Guinea itself, when um, after Sekuture, uh, this guy took office and of course, with all kinds of abuse in, in, in the office, he was uh, replaced by Kamara and Kamara eventually became even worse than him. And therefore, what's important as I said is, democracy is not just a moment. Democracy is a generational project where we change the minds of people to a point where they accept the basic principles of democracy, of which elections are an important part. But political culture development, the development of political institutions, and the development of political rules like the constitution, uh, like rules of the game that are uh, designed by the legislator, almost arbitrary rules that are, that come out of the uh, Council of Ministers. All this have to be able to work in synergy to be able to generate a modicum of democracy. And I think with the African elites providing the software for this, with the media sending a message to the African public, this would be a kind of a generational uh, project. Because what we see is, the world, after the fall of the Soviet Union, we had our first elections in Africa, left and right. Governments were changed, the elections were undertaken. <coughs> so, sorry. In fact, we carried out a nine-country case study at the time to see the transition from authoritarian governments to democracy. Uh, 111 professors were involved. And uh, I was one of the coordinators of the study hoping that we would see some elements of what are the tools and instruments that are now necessary to be able to identify successful transition into democracy. But after a brief period, this will all change you know. The cold war was not over, but the, now the trade war we have between the West and the East and China's rise as an emerging power, economic power and political power, has created a kind of a second Cold War for the African continent. And therefore each of these players in the Cold War would want presidents that they would want to keep in order to maintain their relationships. And in international relations, this is a very uh, tricky scenario. And it's important that the African elite now would be able to undertake serious research and inform the media to inform the African public. You know, the international institutions, all of them are based on the will of the African presidents. They cannot go out of that. Be it the United Nations. The United Nations is a company of leaders that are meeting today in New York. The African Union, actually, as I said, as I told you before, even the Union's constitution says, we the heads of government, the heads of state and governments in Africa. I do not say we the African people, although the UN constitution, the UN Charter says we the people of the United Nations. So it's very important that we have a third channel beyond international institutions where we can deal with democratic development and democratic accountability of African states. And I tell you, this guy will not go by his own free will. For one, is a crime. And therefore, any decent government replacing him will be taking taking him on on to the rule of law. And therefore, he will stay as much as possible. The second thing is, what he will do is he will have an elected government that he can control. And then eventually, people will will get used to the idea that he was the agent of change and they will keep him there. And therefore, uh, these are important things that uh, we need to look into. And of course, I haven't done a detailed analysis of what's really happening in um, uh, Guinea, uh, except uh, the information and news that I'm getting, but definitely in one of my books I have detailed African push and counter push to a point where this continent has become The most miserable and the basket case for G7 every time they meet. Every time G20 meets, Africa becomes the kind of backwater where everybody has to do some donation to get us out of uh, whether it's vaccine, whether it's food, whether it's uh, money, and whether it's uh, whatever assistance the African people need. But the misery we see in this continent is something that we cannot ignore.
0: Thank you very much for that. Now, I will ask you one question before we move to uh, the possible solution. Uh, The question is, what do you think is the real effect of coup d'etat in the national development of a country? Say, for example, like the case of many countries in Africa, of course, because you'll be analyzing this data for a long time. So what are the real consequences of coup d'etat?
1: Well, of course, you know, there is a disruption in... uh in development work. I know in Guinea, President Alpha Condé has contributed a lot, uh, but he, has, he hasn't contributed to enough to the satisfaction of the Guinea people. And this d'état will take back Guinea to almost to its post-colonial years, where you start again. New alliance will be formed. New companies will be looking for the mineral wealth of, the, of Guinea. Uh, new corrupt leaders will be coming in. And therefore, it's very disruptive. But on the other hand, if President Alpha Conde wanted to rule like Bouteflika in Algeria until he goes on wheelchair, then that's not fair. So there must be a balance. This could be a good thing happening for Guinea, frankly. Because at the end of the day, this guy used the power of his office, the power of the state, the power of his military, his law enforcement, the resource of the state to have a referendum and to be elected again. This is illegal by any standards. And therefore, this coup d'etat would prove good if they prove on their promises that they're going to promise prosperity for Guinea and that they will soon hand over to an elected government. But when you say an elected government, it should be on a condition that people really understand whom they are voting for. If people in the United States can vote for President Trump, who's been messing up literally everything, uh, including his generals had to uh, instruct the military, not to allow him to use the nuclear triggers, in the White House, in a book that just came out now. You have this kind of people running the biggest economy and the biggest military in the world. And therefore, even their own people were afraid that it could start <clears throat> a nuclear war anytime. <clears throat> but you know, we have the institutions <clears throat> and the people there. In Africa, too, we need to, be, to have this kind of people who are permanent managers of the state who can have some kind of checks and balances on the executive leadership of that country. So for me, it will be good for Guinea and they will be well advised if they schedule elections, if they schedule civic education, massive civic education, with the support of the international community for people to elect people who can really benefit the people of Guinea and benefit the development of Guinea, the country.
0: All right. Thank you very much for that. And now, um, you see, African, uh, we have some of the youngest people in the world. Uh, I think we said this one well, uh, uh, number of times, no? Now, these young people, a lot of them are you no? About the situation in Africa. Well, first of all. The politicians, because they are managers, they are not leaders. Most of them, most of them are managers. They are just representing some big company in a multinational outside of Africa. So they are just there, uh, just as figurehead, to control the resources. A lot of African youth have not been provided the needed opportunity to live as human beings. That is why many of them, of course, are running away from the continent, not because they are just stupid. They are not stupid. How do we discourage more cool in Africa? So that it doesn't become more enticing. Of course, African poli- politics is very enticing because the moment you get there, you can do anything. You become almost like God, no? We can discourage maybe the, the use of force. Because if anybody that has a gun, they become the head of state, it becomes very dangerous now. That will discourage more cool in Africa.
1: Well, for one, you know, the elected leaders in Africa have to be like elected leaders. There is no way elected, our elected leaders can act like gangs. You know, They want to do everything they want to do. They destroy the opposition. They destroy the base of public dissent. They destroy the institutions of the rule of law. And therefore we cannot stop military force as long as we have people that are not happy with their government. People should be happy with their government because if governments can deliver on their promises on human development. Now it's easy for young people in Africa to take up the barrel of a gun and fight and of course loot and destroy anything that they want where they take the rule of the law into their hands and then they become more satisfied. We see it in many parts of Africa. But the point is good leaders wouldn't lead you into this position. I mean, you have this kind of anachronism between having the Western rule of law concept and also with the kind of challenge we have in this, in, in this continent. Now, if people in South Africa would be allowed to destroy private business at will, then Africa will never develop. And therefore, if you're going to stop Kudeta's The the African Union should not just condemn the d'état. It should condemn people who are going for a certain term. It should condemn people who are abusing their own people, abusing the human rights of their own people. Some African leaders have to start doing that. But this is the club of presidents and prime ministers that are protecting themselves. And therefore, there is no way you can stop Putin. As a matter of fact, it has become very fashionable now, since African leaders are very happy with what they have. I mean, Mali, we had several uh, coups there. Uh, Niger, they just stopped uh, another coup. So this is going to continue. And this will happen also in other countries, which you don't even think of, frankly, very soon where governments are abusing their own people, where economies are being shattered, where the international relations, the foundation of their international relations are being eroded to a point where countries are being looked as parent states. In fact, you know, the Western intellectuals have created wars for African states, failed states, fragile states, collapsed states. And I don't think we can go on with this kind of stuff. And the military are the the only organized part of society and which has enormous resources at its uh, hands will always be there tempted to take over government, some of them in good faith. They might go in good faith and try to save the nation. But in other cases, it could be just pure greed and having a political power to be able to have the spoils of the uh, state power. So the only way you can stop, stop a a coup d'etat and have the army to do its own normal business is, for one, I don't I, I, I don't think African countries would need a big army. If that was the case, Nigeria with its huge army, which was very effective in in, in stabilizing countries in the cause, cannot even protect its own citizens in Nigeria, against Boko Haram and against, uh, you know, bandits who are stealing people. So, one, why do you need a big army if you don't have an exist- existential threat? Number two, what about community law enforcement, where communities are involved in law enforcement, where police are under the control of civilians, where the army is under control, full control of civilians. So the only way to prevent the Koditas is a complex web of political, social, and economic activities should undertake to be able to recommend taking individuals for the potential for military coexistence. And therefore, African intellectuals need to design research protocols, which would help us to achieve this in the long run.
0: Thank you for that. Another uh, recommendation I will ask from you is um, and now let's look at the African Union because, of course, uh, it's very important for the whole of Africa. Uh, what, do you, what would you recommend to the African Union as a strategy to reinforce rule of law in, across Africa? Because uh, we are saying now that the reason that is cool in Guinea is because the guy that is there is trying to uh, outsmart the, the rule. If you were, if he had played by the rule, uh, the person that is coming to overthrow him will not have any justification for doing that, even though he might want to do that. How can African Union reinforce, or maybe force uh, the member state to obey their own rule, to play by the book, so that democracy and the rule of law can prevail in Africa? What are your recommendations? Well, you
1: know, the first thing is the African Union leadership especially the African Union Commission must have the full acceptance of African leaders. Number two, it must have a great channel of communication with African leaders. African leaders cannot come and contradict the African Union chairperson every time that chairperson does anything. The second thing is the African Union as a regional political organization has to focus on issues of Peace and security and political affairs. You know, the African Union has economic affairs offices, it has even an environment and forestry agenda, it has all kinds of agendas. And we have international organizations under the United Nations, under the IMF, under the World Bank, under the African Development Bank that are just doing the same thing. So it has to focus on political issues. Number two, the kind of stuff that I was talking earlier, where you create a very strong African civil society and strong African investigative media is is where their forte can come in, where they can establish the kind of research protocols needed in every country, whether there is an early warning of a potential data in any country. Of course, this is not going to be interfering in the thin veneer of sovereignty that African states claim but it would be in the service of the same states that the African Union would give them. The way I see it now, the African Union President Security Council comes to a meeting, they condemn everything, they say we have to scrap out that country out of the African Union, and there are no consequences for the country. Being a member of the AU doesn't give you any privilege or any prerogative in terms of investments, in terms of international relations. For Security Council, what matters is that you are a member of the United Nations and nothing nothing short of that. So the African Union has to devise an intellectual system within which what are the kids that would drive military force, for example, let's take in Sudan. And what are the objective conditions for this now? When they see people writing against their governments in Sudan, when people were being k- killed and their, the, the, their bodies thrown into the Nile River, the African Union didn't say, what? So after the coup, they start saying, you are a legitimate government. No, this is not the point. With al-Bashir, who's now wanted the International Criminal Court, the African Union's main job was protecting that man. And getting the African Union's main job was to completely invalidate the International Criminal Court, saying that the, African, the ICC is only focusing on African leaders. So this, the African Union has to transform itself when the current chairperson of the African Union has an opportunity to do that because he has been elected again, and therefore there is no certain term for him. And therefore, he can be bold enough to transform the African Union into really serving the African people and not the African heads of state and governments.
0: Thank you very much, sir. Now, this is going to be the last question uh, from you. Actually, it's going to be uh, your final statement, the kind of recommendation uh, on how to promote uh, the rule of law in Africa. Because that is uh, what we think is going to work because this is not a jungle we don't need jungle justice we need rule of law that this is the rule for everyone this is how it's going to work we decide what we want and we decide how to get it we decide how we want to be governed as a people and everybody must play according to the rule how do we promote this kind of rule in africa it's your final statement thank you sir
1: well you know the rule of law paradigm is a paradigm that have come in uh, throughout the age, especially with the birth of the Renaissance in Europe. And most African laws are actually copied either from the French law or from the English law. And that's a problem because if people don't understand the law, they cannot respect it. And these are laws that have been parachuted into the African continent without the full knowledge of the African people. Some of them don't even recognize African traditions in their legal instruments. So the United Nations set up with uh, Hernando de Seto, the Peruvian economist, and uh, Martin Lordwright as co-chairs, what you call the United Nations High Commission on the Legal Empowerment of the Poor. This legal empowerment of the poor focused on four areas. And these areas are one, access to justice. Really, whatever kind of justice systems Africans had, Africa is a continent which is the birth of humanity. Africa has survived before donors, before NGOs, before colonialists, before governments even came. African communities were thriving communities. And therefore, the legal system, when you talk about access to justice, has to be based on the feelings, on the aspirations, on the values that Africans place on the legal codes that are being written, not just codes that are copied from the United Kingdom or codes copied from France. The genesis of legal documents in these countries, basically, in the philosophy of law, jurisprudence will tell you that legal regimes have to be reflective of the population they serve, but they don't. So that's one issue. The second thing is property rights. Many countries in Africa don't recognize the property rights of their own indigenous people, for example. One of my new books coming out is on indigenous people in Africa, which are about 50 million people. But their land is being given to investors. They build roads, highways, railways. They build uh, parks in this place. And they don't take the people seriously. They don't recognize the people in the first place. So they're driven out. By By building a dam, you're going to fill that dam with water, and therefore people will be displaced. Nobody cares. No government cares about this. So property rights is an issue where people have the right to properties which are in line with national benefits. The third area is what you call labor rights, where people would get paid for the kind of services they would provide. And finally, the most important right is entrepreneurship rights. Not, Not everybody has entrepreneurship rights. If we see some African regimes, their children are being taken to court in uh, Europe and the United States for stealing money from their own country. At least we have one case which I see in the courts in uh, western capitals. So, but how do you create an entrepreneurial environment for Africans to be able to develop by themselves so that they can contribute to the national economy? I'll tell you, if we do any legal environment according to the four criteria I mentioned earlier, The government, the presidents we have today will not be there. And therefore, they will be afraid to undertake this. And I have a suspicion that most of our presidents will try to keep the entire population illiterate for fear that education will transform the African young people like it's doing now because all of them are joining social media and creating new awareness and they become a kind of a burden to the existing uh, status quo of governments. And therefore, it's not a question of having a rule of law that we don't know, but it's a question of crafting a rule of law that Africans understand and would obey. Because if people don't obey any law, it's it's not a law anymore. You have to scrap it. And therefore, these are important issues that we need probably uh, to raise in a much more broader discussion at another date. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. If you enjoy this podcast, make sure you subscribe so you never miss any of our future episodes. Rate our review Obehe podcast and share with your friends who might need it. I Obehe ever 4 Thank you so much for listening. i talk to you in the next episode.